Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you, all seven of you, for listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Today I've got a Marine, Navy SEAL, federal agent, producer of Contraland, founder of Veterans for Child Rescue, Craig Sawman Sawyer. Welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, thanks, Clint, for having me on. Where are you at? I'm in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson. Is it cold there or does it just stay hot? No, it, it gets cold in the wintertime. I mean, it's yeah. actually very charming here. We used to do all our skydiving here in SEAL teams. and uh, I, I remember that. There's also a bar. It's a pretty cool bar there too, right? Yeah, yeah teammate of mine nelson yeah has multiple he's i think he's got four locations here now trident bar and grill what are they again yeah trident that's right i get them all mixed up every city there's like the lily pad and you know some kind of frog brewery (laughs) so there's a bunch of them in different cities owned by uh you know former retired frogmen which is a great way to stay in contact with people or have a place to go and get a drink whenever you're just passing through um you know just like every other uh, interview, I start with a rapid fire to warm us up and we'll uh, end to get to know you a little better. So are you ready? I don't know. Let's see. All right. I'll give you two choices. You just give me the fir- first one that comes to mind and then we'll circle back around and you can give kind of the why. Okay. Uh, or when we circle back around, you can change your mind and say, no, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> All right. All right. All right here enough. we go. Uh, Marines or Navy? Uh Marines. Marines. All right. Uh, Platoon life or squadron life? Squadron life. Squadron life. Uh, Shoot them or stab them? Shoot them. Shoot them. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Now, this kind of determines old school versus new school. So we'll see where you fall. Compass or GPS? Compass. (laughs) I love it. Uh, On your feet or on your back? On your feet. On your feet. Uh, Jump in, swim in, or ruck in? Ruck in. Ruck in. (laughs) Uh, Mom or wife? Wife. Wife. All right. Uh, Steak, chicken, or salmon? Steak. 
Steak. Uh, Hell Week or Pool Comp Week? Pool Comp Week. Yeah, there we go. It's an unheard of nightmare that that most people don't talk about. Okay, uh, last one. I'm just throwing out some countries here. Iraq, Afghanistan, or Africa? Africa. Africa. All right. Good job. Circling back around, you picked the Marines over the Navy. Yep. And that's strictly because the Marines as a whole, as a service branch, have an outstanding fighting reputation. You talk to Navy SEALs that have been bailed out by the Marines or have worked with them, like Chris Kyle or or any others. Uh, They just realize, man, the, the Marines as a service branch have an outstanding fighting reputation. They kick ass. That's what they do. Yeah, and, uh, they're not perfect, but boy, they've got a stronger esprit de corps than any other service branch. And <clears throat> I love my time in the Navy SEALs. I never wanted to go back to the Marines by any means, but as a <laughs> as a service branch, I think they've they've got something to be very proud of there. They're like, yeah, yeah, I agree, man. They do have a cool history, uh, you know, and a lot of cool guys have come out of there that I've worked for. Um, and yeah. It, now specifically what did you do when you're in the marines i was in 0311 and uh, i was going into being the force recon and i it wasn't until i was all the way in that i learned that they didn't have any budget or political backing for the force recon unit at that time it was in the early 80s yeah. so they said man if you're serious about kicking the pants out of bad guys you should have gone to the navy they got all the toys and the the mission and the political backing. I'm like, okay, how do I get there from here? And they said, you can't. And so I did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so did you do your full, what, four years or nope, how did you? I did two. I did two. And then I got out and I fought my way into the Navy. So that's why, you know, on contracts later on, Clint would be some austere uh, location, combat zone. And, and uh, the Marines would on, on uh, 10 November would decide that they were going to, celebrate the marine corps birthday as they always do they're like saw man get in here we made a cake we're gonna sing the, you know uh, the the hymn and i said look um i, I was only in for two years they're like so you're a marine get in here oh, and so after awesome. the first couple of times I, I tried to like i was only in for this long they like so you're a marine you're one of us let's let's sing the marine corps hymn and celebrate the birthday so uh, it's just once you're a marine you're always a marine they accept it and celebrate it so that's kind of how it's always been yeah, and it's cool. You got to check. Uh, you got to check a couple of boxes in the military, which most people, you know, don't do. They usually just stick with whatever, you know, component they signed up for, and and uh, and go for either as long or as short as possible, <laughs> depending yeah. on your job. And to be honest, brother, you know, and I've taught snipers. I've taught Marine Corps snipers. I've taught Navy SEAL snipers as an instructor, and other agency snipers. And I'm telling you, a Marine will learn like that. You you tell them and they're going to do it. Now, the team guy's going to try. He's going to he's going to try to cheat. <laughs> he's going to find all the edges of the box, like oh, the whole perimeter because he's thinking, right? He's trying, yeah. how can I do this better? Has it ever been done? Can I innovate? And it's it's humorous in some ways, but the Marines going to do it like the way that you teach them and it's just interesting to see the different methods of learning, but I, I think a lot of a lot of um, I think there's a lot of benefit to the Marine Corps culture of discipline. Yeah, uh, the SEAL teams could benefit from. I'm not trying to say rain in pirates to try to make them saints, you know, so to speak, as far as spec operators. But some of that discipline, that self-discipline as in the Marine Corps, I think would be would benefit the SEAL teams. I don't think you'd have as many guys 
you know, <laughs> going off on the drugs and the different things. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it, it would, it would sharpen up things a little bit in some ways, but um, yeah, unique cultures, very different. No doubt, man. Polar opposites in some ways. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I've I've had this conversation several times where, you know, people think SEALs have that same like higher level of like Marine Corps discipline. And it's like, nope, we don't, we pride ourselves on not having any of that. And it's kind of what sets us apart as special operations from everyone else. Cause we, we, we concentrate on the, the target we concentrate on the work and everything else is kind of secondary and we don't get too hung up on it. But, uh, whereas the Marines, yeah, they, they get hung up on everything. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a true statement as well. And I, what, one thing I really celebrate about the SEAL team, especially having worked at the tier one levels, the guys, men, they're innovators, they're thinkers. They will yeah. develop a solution that nobody ever came up with before. You know, when, when you got JSOC throws a, a problem on the table and says, here's something that, is deemed impossible figure out a solution you got these guys operators not officers operators figuring yeah. out how to skin that cat it's pretty inspiring to see where these guys from practical knowledge and experience dedicated to finding a solution for the american people here's a way that we can do this and wow that's bold it's unconventional and yeah. uh but can it be effective and the, and the answer is usually yes yeah the guys there they know that it's their hide on the line that's going to go carry it out. So they're like, yeah, we can, we can make this happen given the right tools, you know? Right. So that, that was very inspiring experience for me. That's something I just carry inside. I don't talk about, but uh, uh, fantastic memory. So, so many guys I'm very impressed with and proud to call brother. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. You nailed something. I mean, the Marine Corps with their d- level of discipline sometimes also puts them in a box where they don't get to ch- get to really think outside of it. Whereas with our community, you're right. I mean, that innovation becomes because of like a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit. We allow each guy to have individually to go out and try different things, not be so rigid And that lack of rigidity allows a lot of flexibility in thought process, tactics and SOPs that other units just don't think about because they're kind of stuck. Right. They're like, oh, they automatically think I can't do that. They'll get mad at me or we can't do that because we'll get in trouble. Whereas we're like, yeah, we'll get in trouble. This is perfect. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Throw <laughs> throw rocks with shit and, and, and hit things with sticks. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> every board every board operator knows what I'm talking about. Let's just throw in rock throw rocks at shit and hit things with sticks. Okay. Um Platoon life versus squadron life. You pick squadron life, which I pretty much knew the answer to that, but uh, give us the big why and a little bit of background for those that don't understand the the, the choices. Yeah, well, going from a, you know, and I hate to say this for all my brothers that have that are heroes and and uh, warriors to the highest level, you know, from a, a what they, from a, I guess the word, it's not really conventional. I wouldn't say conventional SEAL team, but going say from SEAL Team One, it was very highly disciplined SEAL team. Training was very strong, very effective. I went to war at SEAL Team One, loved it, um, learned a lot there, and that that qualified me and, and caused me to perform very well in selection for the tier one level at dev group. So I've got nothing but respect there, but the, the budgets are so radically different. You know, you're talking yeah. uh, a budget that's, that's larger at, at a tier one unit than all the other SEAL team, uh, SEAL teams combined. Right. As far as annual budget. So there's no comparison instead of having, um, 
you know, one support person for every 10 or 15 operators in, in the, the team, you've got five support personnel for every operator. Yeah. It's a radically different environment. So you're, you're given a lot more responsibility and no excuse for failure. Basically, anything that you think you need as an operator to prepare for an operation can be made available to you if within reason. But I mean, some it's pretty big stuff. Yeah. You have no excuse for failure. It's on you. Big boy rules. And the physical demands are greater. The responsibility is inherently larger. And so going from a, a reg, what I call a regular SEAL team from SEAL team one to dev group, riding around in a, in a six by an old Vietnam era six by, you know, is one thing or, or in a minivan <laughs> or riding around in nice rental cars because you've got sniper rifles that, you know, only fit in certain trunks and you have to be able to lock them up at certain places. And you're staying in hotel rooms instead of uh, barracks on bases. Yeah. It's just a different budget and you're able to live differently. It's much more of a civilian life. Only you're doing super crazy spec op stuff at night, you know, um, yeah. you're going to jump out of something at 35,000 feet in one case with the full combat equipment and, and O2 and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's a different life. It's a lot greater stress and responsibility, but the assets are, are overwhelming. And it's, it's like reading a novel, like a crazy adventure novel. And you're looking at each other going, my God, we're, we're living this. I mean, yeah. this is, this is our lives. If, if only people knew. And so you just, you know, if you have discipline about you, you don't ever write about it and you just file that away and like, okay, we got, uh, we had a heck of a life here, man. Let's uh, make sure we got good health care afterwards and try to make the best of the years <laughs> that are left. Right. And uh, yeah. have some fun with it. So um, that's why, you know, yeah. I think it's, just a, it's a different, different flavor of life there. Right. Yeah. I think you nailed it with money. Right. I know that uh, my experience, you'd go from what now they call the theater level, you know, the regular what we call regular teams. It's theater level to, you know, national level. And money was the big differentiator. Money allows each guy to be truly a professional soldier. You can go and be the master of whatever you want because there is no one that's going to tell you no, as long as whatever you're deciding to go train with, tr train you know for, whatever it is, they will let you go do that. And they will let you spend that money all day long if it's going to make you better at your job at the end of the day. And then this support that you mentioned, it's phenomenal. You can't, uh, I, I used to tell people, it's like it's, you're a rock star without the paycheck because you're traveling, awesome. You're getting to do all kinds of cool shit that most people pay to do. We're getting paid to yeah. do it. And you've got that support system in place that gives you that, that, that time to then professionalize the other things that are more important, you know, like being a shooter or whatever your job is, being a breacher. You know, if you want to be the, the most badass dude at combatives, you can do it there because they're going to send you to Brazil and train with the people who invented jujitsu. You know, they're going to send you wherever you want uh, to make you the badass that you should be. At the end of the day, that's how exactly how it should be for every, you know, unit. Uh, but that's just not the case because yeah. it boils down to, like you said, money, 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 money. Yeah, I like the way you put it theater level versus national level. That's that's a simple and concise way to put it. 
Yeah, that's kind of new. Um, as I was getting out, that was the the terminology, and it makes sense. Um, for those listening, you know the the SEAL teams used to be broken up regionally into different theaters. Now they all go everywhere, but uh, but the theater level, you know, usually working for um, uh, GCC or you know, you usually have a general or an admiral in charge of an area, and that area is called a theater. Therefore, when you deploy, you work for that person. Whereas at the national level, you work for the president or the joint chiefs of staff, you know, is really the short command structure there. But anyway, um, yeah, I love, I love everything you said and it's so accurate. Okay. Shoot them or stab them. You pick shoot them. Yeah. I've talked to, uh, I haven't, I've never stabbed anybody in combat. Um, <laughs> in combat. <laughs> I, I know, a couple guys who have and they 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 unless it goes perfectly it's loud and it's and it's messy and it's it's a it's a kind of a disaster because in one case the guy stepped into a hooch and across the table and he slashed the guy and, and he slashed him across the top of the larynx instead of the bottom and the guy was hollering and bellering blood was flying everywhere and he's hurting <laughs> and, and he was still fighting he goes it was a mess you know and, and uh i know Another guy, I won't go into detail. You you may know him too. He's smoked a lot of people up close and personal uh, with suppressed weapon, and and it just shuts them down and it's over. And yeah, it's just a more efficient way to do business. So um, due to that, that's that's specifically kind of what I was thinking, Clint. When I said yeah, that. I'm with you. I mean, hey, anytime you can maintain that that distance and uh, do your job, then why not, right? Yeah. Um, compass versus gps and yeah you went with compass i went with compass because not that gps is an outstanding tool and i and i use it every day but the compass has to come first yeah electronics fail you you need to understand how to use the tools that will never fail you and the basics will always take care of you so it's uh, it's important just like in survival man you need to have a good blade start with a good survival blade and everything else can come from there if you have the skills to use it so that's why i chose compass not to sound like some old grandpa but uh just to realize <laughs> that if everything else fails you can build back from a compass you can get anywhere do it whatever you want so that's right but are you a grandpa not yet no not maybe yet. one day man you know our kids are <laughs> don't seem to be in any big hurry and that's okay yeah we want them to know who they are and and be be satisfied before they start cranking out ones that they're responsible for. So it'll in its in its own good time. That's right. That's right. The days of kids having kids seems to be deteriorating. It doesn't seem like any of the uh, younger generation is uh, in any rush to, you know, have kids, drive a car, move out of their house. I mean, their parents' house. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of an interesting turn, right? Yeah, um, they don't mature as quickly as as seems like we did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can circle back around to that. Um, on your feet or on your back, you picked on your feet. Yeah. I, I assume it was in reference to you want to die on your feet or <laughs> die on your back, man. I'd rather die on my feet. I've never been one to lie down and take anything. So yeah, that's a good a big, way of looking at it. Yeah. I had a big brother that was, uh, he was five years older than me, almost five years. He was six, three in Southpaw, Southpaw. We used to fight a lot. He man, he he beat me every day, and I got tired of getting beat. So that's what kind of <laughs> agitated and aggravated me to where anybody else that wanted to fight me, boom, I was on them. 
because I was already pre-frazzled from from just getting beat all the time. Anyway, I was sick of it. It's not that I was a violent kid or an angry kid. It's just I, I'd had enough. So I wasn't going to take it from anyone else. <laughs> And uh, that's become kind of my persona in high school football, 5A high school in Southern Texas. Do the math, right? It's, uh, it's yeah. big football. It's big hits. It's it's aggression. That's kind of where I started learning that. That adrenaline felt good, man. I was superhuman when I was angry in a big game and, and putting guys on their back, and it, it felt nice. And so that kind of became my thing. And that's when I started looking for something more. And that's when I eventually found – the SEAL teams and and wanted to go assert my aggression there, you know, to go. And really I was only wanting to just stop the harm from coming here to the United States that I later found has been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stop the harm from coming here. I wanted, I was willing to go and fight whoever, wherever just to prevent it from coming here and harming the people that you and I love. Yeah. So that no that was my burn. I wanted to go do it. And I figured, well, if I don't go do it, who's going to, you know, because right. I wasn't quite like my family or my, you know, a lot of my peers. I kind of had more of that. And it's cool that we brothers in the SEAL teams, we get there and we find other guys like us. Like, yeah, we're, we are Vikings together. You know, it's like, oh. <laughs> well, kind of have that pirate outlook. You know, it's like anybody that comes to try to do harm to our country, we're going to crush them. You know, yeah. and it's, it's cool to be part of a brotherhood where you got guys to your left and right that are that are wired that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I compare it to harnessing evil against good because we can be some evil little fuckers and it's the last thing you want to see is us coming through your door. Um, yeah, love it. Uh, jump in, swim in. Probably won't see us. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> um, jump in, swim in, or ruck in. You picked ruck in. Yeah, well, as a sniper, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong jumping in. I, I only had 600 jumps, but a lot of them, uh, high altitude combat equipment jumps a lot of wind tunnel time and all that yeah um i just realized jumping's fun but in in a combat zone man there's so much that you can't control of what may be waiting for you when you get down yeah and um swimming in always comes with uh, a lot of uh destroyed gear hypothermia and all the hazards of the sea the sea is unforgiving and so (laughs) Uh, as a sniper, when you rock in, that's something that you have more control over and stealth, and you can kind of attack on your own terms. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, it's a more controlled delivery of outcome. No, and I, I no like doubt. that approach. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, you, you nailed it. I mean, jumping in and swimming in, you really can't control the elements. You can't can really, you can't delay right? You can't stop for a day and go, you know, let's, uh, let's wait. <laughs> you can't do yeah. that in the air and you can't do that in the water. Hold you, here uh, 15,000 gents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're on a but, 45 minute hold. Yeah. Sorry. But you're right. Yeah. Rocking in, you've got more control and I think that's key. I love it. Yeah, um, although it's backbreaking and knee breaking come to find right. out. Yeah. You know? As my yeah. medical charts show now. Right. Yeah, I, I think I came out of the Navy like an inch shorter, and it's mostly in my neck and in my l- lumbar, which is uh, jet boat rides and uh, rocks on my back. <laughs> You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Let's see here. Mom or wife? You picked mom. I mean, picked wife. Sorry. Yep. You know why? Because wife is still here. 
and she's Irish and Cherokee. So, uh, you know. Oh, damn. And I have to sleep next to her. <laughs> She'll stab you. <laughs> yeah. So look, I loved them both, man. My mom was very loving and uh, caring mother and God bless her. She's moved on now. I'll see her again, but uh, you know, my, my wife, I see her all day, every day. So she's here, man. So. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. They're both worthy uh, though. That's honest. right. They, they're, uh, they're part of the support system. Um. Steak, chicken, or salmon? You pick steak, meat eater, and you're from Texas, so that makes sense. Right? Now, yeah. here's a here's a little anecdote. I'm <laughs> at DevGru. Um, I'm doing things that I think are pretty impressive. I'm in monster physical condition. I'm trying to t- take care of my health to be the optimal level uh, op- operator that I can. I'm going to all yeah. kinds of schools. I'm studying languages. I'm just, I'm listening to speed reading classes. I'm just feeding my brain. I'm developing as much as I can as a warrior and as a human being and psychologically and analytically everything. I'm just excellence, 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 24 hours a day. I'm striving for it. I take my, my wife on, a, I was, I think it was my first date. I took her to a restaurant in Virginia beach and um, I had her order first as you do with the ladies. She goes, no, nah, I'm not sure you go first. And uh, I said, look, I'm going to do a salad with some grilled chicken and trying to eat healthy, right? And um, what do you want to drink with that, sir? I'm like, I'll have a you know glass of white wine. You know, mm-hmm. um, show a little class and show that the wine goes with the poultry, all the thing. I was like, that that's okay, that's <laughs> fine for me. Yeah. And uh, she goes, okay, ma'am, well, what would you have? And my wife, being a rancher's daughter from Tucson, she says, I'll have the biggest steak you got and a whiskey sour. And I'm like, gosh, dang it, what? I just did there. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> You're like that's exactly what I wanted to order, but <laughs> <laughs> we've that's laughed good. about that. I don't know how many times, but that's kind of her persona, man. She's uh, she's good to go. She's she's a great companion, brother. And it's yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and you guys, I'm, so I'm I'm guessing this is the first and only wife. Uh, this is my second wife. My oh, first okay. wife um, came out to uh, buds with me. I married her from my hometown and um, she was a great little wife, but she had, uh, she had a lung disease. that was very painful and she had experimented with cocaine before I'd met her when I met her. And I found out that she was doing that. I said, Hey, uh, I'm not down with that. It's been nice. You know, good luck to you. She goes, no, 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 I'll quit. I'll quit. I want to be your girlfriend. I was like, no, really. I just, you'll be okay. And so she quit and she became my girlfriend but she never dealt with it so psychologically there was still some sort of hook you know anchor there but anyway fast forward i'm over in desert storm for seven months and seal team one's briefing the wives just a little bit to let them know what we're up to so they don't feel separated yeah and but but what she was hearing caused her such anxiety that she didn't have anything else to kind of anchor on so she bumped into the wrong crowd and uh, by the time I got home, she was a, basically a junkie. Damn. So uh, yeah, went ahead and, and divorced her. But um, anyway, made sure she kept medical coverage and all that kind of stuff. And then later she she did pass away. So oh, man. very long, ugly, tragic story. 
tears. I could make you cry if I told you the whole thing. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, it's it is horrible, but um, you know, Damn. this is my this is my second wife. So yeah, and I, say I got her by free delivery. So there was three of us team guys in Virginia Beach, um, renting a house there, and I came home for a, uh, it was a long holiday weekend. It was it was uh, um, Halloween. And we were all going to go out and dress up and party and do stuff. And I came home and this gorgeous lady was in my living room with one of my roommates and one of their other girlfriends. And, uh, and who's my wife and I now, we looked at each other and it was, we had first initial physical attraction. And then I took her for a ride on my motorcycle. There was nothing in our garage, but just sport bikes, mountain bikes, surfboards. Cause we, we worked. And then when we didn't work, there was nothing to put in the garage except for toys. So three of us team guys, we had all these toys in there. So I took her for a ride to get ice cream on the back of my motorcycle. And then we just hit it off. So I say I got got her through free delivery because she was just there to visit a friend of mine. And I was like, came home and was like, yes. <laughs> Not a bad way to go. Better than a dating app. Better than a dating app. It was. <laughs> um. All right, so then we did uh, Hell Week versus Pull Comp Week. You picked Pull Comp Week. Yeah, Pull Comp Week, you're further through it. You kind of know who you are, what you're made of more in that environment because Hell Week comes relatively early on in Buds. Yeah. So by the time, whether it, when you went through, whether it was second or third phase, you got to see that, okay, um, I, I'm okay at this. I, I'm performing. I'm getting through this. I'm adapting to it, and uh, this is just one more challenge, and maybe one where there's a lot of psychology behind it, but it's just another challenge. So That's right. Um, I I prefer where I was in that space uh, than Hell Week. Now I I was different than a lot of guys that go through Hell through Buds because I knew once I was in the Marine Corps I wanted to go do it, and and what little there was about SEAL Team I had already read. And I really, I had a burn, man. Those Vietnam era Navy SEALs were my heroes. And yeah. I wanted to be one of those dudes. The guys that operated in the rung sat special zone and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, that's the most amazing existence. I mean, I have to become one of these guys and fight next to them and make my contribution and, um, and, and become one of them and have them glad that I'm there, you know, if possible. And yeah. that's all I ever wanted was to have my brothers look to the left and right and go, I saw a man next to me. That's a good thing. You know what I mean? That's all I ever wanted is just right. to make my legitimate contribution and help at that level. So um, that's, that's what I, that's what I was thinking with that. And um, yeah. I, forgot, I was, I was starting off to finish up with something. I, I, think <laughs> I went the long way around the horn and forgot my initial point. That's okay. I do it all the time, <laughs> but I will help you. Where do you feel like your anxiety may have uh been a little higher with your back turned to the pool waiting your turn we're sitting in a smelly canvas what was those big tents they had us in before hell week breakout and i yeah. personally felt like sitting with my back turned listening to people fail certain parts of pool comp i was like oh my god i'm gonna get in there and i'm gonna drown to death <laughs> yeah pool. But, you well, know yeah well first i remember where i was going is um yeah there you go <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, it took me a long time to get to buds. So by the time I was there, 
I wasn't yeah. just in the Navy and said, okay, here's another job in the Navy. Maybe I'll go try yeah. that and see whether or not I like it. I only went into the Navy specifically to become a Navy SEAL. I had no sense of humor about failing. And I was absolutely thrilled to be in Bud's. And a lot of guys couldn't relate to that. They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, dude, we're, we've been, I, it's been years getting here. The brothers, this is, this is, this is awesome. This is week, man. Let's put out, <laughs> let's win. This is awesome. And they're like, shut up, saw we're hurting. And I'm like, yes, but it's glorious. You know, and they're like, we don't <laughs> understand where you're at. I'm like, dude, if it had taken you as long to get here as it had me, you'd, you'd be loving it. And, right. uh, and so that was the difference. So for me, hell week. I was already in a good place and I'm yeah. like, this is, I've been reading about this. We're living it. It's actually happened. So as far as anxiety, yeah, I would say, um, hell, um, not hell, but, um, pool comp, you know, the, with the, with the predatory nature of the instructor cadre and what they do and, and comping you, um, and those, those challenges underwater are, are, a significant psychological challenge and there's a lot of games that, that are played and and there's there's a lot to work through for every individual so yeah it's it's unnerving it's meant yeah. to be and yeah. they need to they need to they need to assess us students in that environment because that's a very important thing to do to know what you've got yeah what makes this guy panic and how much does it take and you know what are his buttons and can he be useful or is he going to be a, a liability Right. So, yeah, I, I didn't care for it, but I was already by then I, I kind of pretty secure in who I was in a series of challenges of different types throughout Bud. So I'd say the anxiety was actually greater for pull comp. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It was, uh, it was like that. Uh, how do you compare it? It's like the, compa- the contrast really with hell week is, physically you lock in and you just do what you need to do until yeah. somebody says you know hell week secured whereas with pull comp you almost have to let go physically let them toss you around throw you do whatever they're going to do tie the big whammy knot pull your fins off pull your mask off and you kind of you're rolling with it until it's all done maintain your composure and then you go all right now what's the procedures what do I do first? What do I do second? What do I do third? Because that's really what you're getting graded on is now you've got to go into that mental mode and put everything back on in the order in which they told you to put it on, not just any order. And then you decide, they decide whether, you know, you get to get, move forward or not. <laughs> so it's almost, it's so strange because Hell Week is like locked in physically. And for me, pull comp and all those little exercises was letting go physically and just waiting until it's time to then turn on the mental aspect and the procedures, you know, it was, uh, yeah. interesting stuff, man. Buds it, is definitely a, an incredible testing, uh, environment, you know, of all, I think more than just whether you can be a seal or not, you know, I know that they've had all kinds of studies done, you know, during buds for different classes, um, but I think I think there's a lot more to it than we'll ever know. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I think pool comp is so applicable because really spec ops is only problem solving under extremely adverse conditions. That's what. Yes, it is. exactly. You may need to hurt people or break things 
to solve that problem, <laughs> but you're there as a problem solver. And think about pool comp, the way you just broke it down. It is a sequential problem solving sequence that you're being graded upon yeah. under some pretty severely adverse conditions. Meaning right. you're you're deep underwater and you're getting your ass kicked. With no air. Yeah. With no air. And you're, <laughs> yeah. you're being stressed. They're they're doing it to you. They're making sure that you're suffering all the adversities that that they can can string up against you. And you're if you do it perfectly, there's really kind of just enough time to to do it and 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 survive, right? So yeah, the anxiety's up there, but then how does this guy solve problems when it's like that? Yeah. So that's that's very helpful information for them to uh, assess and make note of for each other. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great way of putting it, man. Great way of putting it. Um, last one was uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa. You picked Africa. Yeah, I got to do some counter poaching work in Africa. And the man, the 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 rhinos are cool, but the elephants especially. What a majestic beast! Their communication, their care for their young not just their own young but each other's offspring mm -hmm. and how tribal how communal they are and their system uh the way those those animals look after each other is very compelling to observe and uh you know there's there's a lot of animals there in africa that that really really will get your attention and appreciation uh, if you are able to, to observe them and it's just it's a fantastic location for that and lot of history there and all so that's I, I found that much more interesting than you know the the haboobs and the the violence and the all the heartaches and hardships and bu buddies i lost over in and other you know more arid regions yeah now was there anything that the poachers were doing or you're like whoa that's actually pretty smart like tactically or was there anything that kind of impressed you about even though there are a bunch of pigs doing uh you know you know, bad things. Was there anything that was standout though that you learned from well, it? Well, it was it, it all it all sickened me, brother, to be honest with you. I mean, one of the things that, that goes on that's that's it's more like a spec ops mission is you know, take a quickie saw, come in to a private rancher. So let alone the, the big uh reserve like the Kruger, they'll go target a private ranch where a rancher's got several rhinos. That he's protecting and safe harboring yeah flying with a with a small helicopter jump off you know either off of a skid or or out of the back with a quick quickie saw they'll trank dart a uh a rhino and just chop half his face off and throw the horn or both horns in the backpack jump on the bird and be out of there in a matter of seconds no they're supported with air assets and all that yeah yeah holy shit yeah because half a million dollars per horn I so. had no idea. Yeah, that's a lot. So, yeah, that's a big industry then. Is that still as active as it used to be? Or, Well, it, it is, and it's almost like it's a race to the bottom. I haven't gotten a, an update really in about a, a year. So I say that it's – I assume that it's the same. The The fewer rhinos there are, the greater the value of the remaining horn. Uh, so it's a race to, race to doom. It's, really, it's so stupid because it's just keratin. The same thing as hair or fingernails. Yeah, the horn is made of, and of course, in Southeast Asia, it's in China and and, and other places, it's advertised as being a cure all for everything, and they can make big money off of it in the black market. So they're slaughtering an endangered species over it. It's just 
It's absolutely stupid. Damn. Damn. Well, I'm glad you went and did something about it, at least helped out and contributed. Um, yeah, some of my SEAL team brothers uh, went with me, too. <laughs> I've heard some other stories, yeah. I think it's, uh, I've heard there's, you know, certain things you can get away with over there. It sounds pretty fun. We will be right back after the break. Switching gears. We'll switch back. I mean, for now, we're going to dig in a little bit more into you. So Sawman, Craig Sawman, Sawyer, Sawman. What's the history on Sawman? Oh, we don't talk about that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there was that time when I cut that person in half. Yeah. No, it's just really anticlimactic, but I, I'm always honest about it. I mean, it, yeah. was my, it was my best friend, TJ Ship, was saying, Sawman hit me long playing keep away with the football at recess and ah. elementary school, man. He, we used to call each other, you know, like for me, it was saw man, saw dude, saw mug, um, you know, just, <laughs> just short for Sawyer. And then Sawyer, it went to saw yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, Sawyer, yeah. Yeah. Sawyer became saw man. And then, then yeah. my nickname and it stuck with me in high school football and, you know, Marine Corps SEAL team. Yeah. Forever. Well, there you more. go. There you go. No, there, I thought there was going to be a hacksaw and some limbs involved or something, you know. Yeah, people imagine all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's good. The imagination's great when it comes to our uh, the myths that we've uh, that we've lived. <laughs> um, so now rolling into, we've kind of hit some bud stuff, and you know everybody loves those stories, and I appreciate your input. Um, and when you're in, you mentioned Desert Storm, so. You know, let's go through just a little bit of your timetable uh, in the SEAL community and where you started and where you kind of ended and any of the highlights in the middle. Yeah, well, I, I started at Team One, and I'm, I'm glad I did. I put in for all East Coast teams because back then, four was doing the most work uh, mm. down south. So yeah, that was my first team I put in for. I'm like, okay, they're the most busy. That's where I want to go. Uh, I didn't come in for a career. I didn't want to. I wasn't looking to make rank or anything like that. I just wanted to operate. That's it. So yeah, put in for four, and then I think I put in for two next, and then as an alternate, I think I put in for the new one, which was eight at the time, uh, just to keep me out there on the East Coast where they were doing more. And then uh, they sent me to the West Coast team one. It's <laughs> <laughs> usually how it goes. Yeah. Hey, we just but need I someone over there. there. I got into rock climbing, hand to hand fighting, and all this other kind of stuff out there, and um, you know. I, Hulk Richards was the the commanding officer at SEAL Team One. He um, Vietnam veteran. I used to. I found that I could get him to tell me stories. We used to lift weights together after work, and I would I would put in some credence Clearwater Revival, which is uh, almost like pouring a shot of whiskey to a Vietnam era frogman. Hulk would stop. You know, of course, he could lift monster weight. He was multi-time Navy powerlifting champion. So yeah, this is like, now this is Admiral Richards, right? Later, yeah, 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 yeah. So he, yep. he goes, uh, he would stop and 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 uh, and just think. And I'm like, oh, feed me, boss. Like, tell me, like, what are you thinking? He's like, no, that's no, nothing. I'm like, that's not nothing. I see those wheels turning. I can smell smoke. What are you? He's like, well, it's just we were planning an op once to this song and it was in this place and blah 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 i'm like come on come on bring it and he would tell me stuff and i'm like man this is what i live for this it was so cool so yeah anyway yeah i went through uh marine corps scout sniper school at seal team one as a seal yeah so four of us seals went there there were four force recon guys in that class and up at uh, pendleton we we went it was a long course and 
really enjoyed that and got, you know, a lot of the basics and, and really built my foundation for my sniper skills there and uh, came back and went to war, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And I got selected as the lead fast attack vehicle driver. So I'd grown up riding dirt bikes and wanted to race, but never really got to. I did later, started winning championships, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, <laughs> uh, Bill Weber was a Baja racing uh, enthusiast and he had those designed at an El Cajon by Chen. Well, yeah, yeah, the DPVs, right? Yeah, so they brought those over to Half Moon Bay where we were base camped over in Desert Shield, and he did a selection course where he let all of us drive, and he would he would co-pilot and, and, and assess our terrain reading ability and our ability to carry speed, um, and he chose me as the number one driver, and then Craig Dale, my buddy, uh, as the TAC2. Craig was a really good driver as well. So you had two Craigs leading that program over there. And um, it, first it was with the lights on and then it was the, with the lights off with no night vision. Ooh, and fine. then it was with night vision and no lights and just rage. And then we start doing long profile missions and training up at it and uh, backing them into the helicopters and driving them out and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And we move at a lot of wild adventures and helicopter crashes and those things. And a lot of things that, would be fantastic story or book reading or whatever, but we lived it and that's enough. Yeah. And, uh, great, great memories. And uh, we still laugh about a lot of those things and glad that we survived them. And, and uh, we got to, when the war kicked off, we, we went out onto ships and we're operating by Hilo blowing up mines that were threatening the, the allied ships and you know literally physically dropping in and rigging those up with explosives and and blow you know getting swimming back away bringing horse collar down from the bird pulling back up into the helicopter standing off and letting the time fuse ignite that that mine that's great, awesome uh, that's old school frogman there. shit yeah it was and of course when the captains of the ships would find out that we just blew a couple mines in their ship's path that day uh, they would feed us steak and lobster, me and my buddy, Dino. <laughs> and uh, Dino and I worked together throughout the that campaign at, at Team One. And uh, that was that was satisfying work. And then we arrested, uh, not arrested, but we captured the first prisoners of that war mm. uh, on islands and on oil rigs and sinking ships. You know, there was one time where there was, a, there was an oil tanker that was modified with a bunch of weapons systems, Iraqi tanker. And um, they were shooting at the fast movers, the allied fast movers on their in inbound bombing runs toward Baghdad. And so they called us in. And when we flew in in helicopters, the sky was black. So there was a ceiling at only several hundred feet. Hmm. We had to fly under that. It was strange, man, like a black blanket across the sky. Yeah, Just Saddam lit all the refineries, yeah. you name it. He lit everything on fire, right? Yeah. But in this case, it was a, it was a ship that was burning. And so all this blackness was coming from one ship and the ship's back was broken and it was it was slowly sinking. And so we dropped down below the, the that black cloud layer was flying beneath that test fire in our, M4, our M14s. Most of us at Team 1, we preferred carrying 762. So in those days, it was either an M4 or, or um, an M14. So we were carrying 14s, test firing those things. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Okay, we're good. Make sure everything's ready to go. And then drop it into the water 
and swimming up and these guys jumping over to the sides of the ship and we were capturing them. You know, Dino, I'd pull my pistol out. Dino would grab them around the, 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 uh, the head uh, with a knife and uh, I would, I would holster up my pistol and, and search the guy and zip tie his hands in the front and pull him away from the others and pull the horse collar down and send him up. That's how we started capturing these guys. And wow, it was interesting, you know, like right in their face kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah. one guy, it, it, it got a little sporty. He, he was on an overturned wooden lifeboat, white wooden lifeboat. He had, he didn't have his shoes on. He had this big life preserver on. And, uh, um, Dino was waving at him to get off the lifeboat and he wouldn't and come to, you know, find out later, he was just scared. But, uh, Sam opened up, um, and raked, uh, raked him with water from the M60 from the helicopter. He just kicked the uh, door gunner off for a second and, went, and just gave the guy some incentive, like get off the damn boat. And when he guy fell over, Dino grabbed him and I swam up to start, uh, searching him and, I went to go lower myself in the water to start searching his legs. And he threw his legs around me, clamped down with like a, almost like a jujitsu fighter was like locked, locked around me. Yeah. I got I'll you go, into the guard. Oh, no, dude. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I just relaxed and I slid down and I pulled up my, my knife from my, my leg. I had a dive knife on my leg, a skeletonized little techno knife. Yeah. Yeah. I came up with that and I put it right up under his gut and I came up out of the water and grabbed him like, dude, I've got you. I can split you from nuts to neck, or you can throw your legs off of me, which it's going to be. And he relaxed his legs and I threw him off of me and he stayed calm. And I kind of like, don't yeah. let that happen again. I put it back away and we were fine, you know? And so we processed him later. He was a, a little bit of a problem in the bird. And I ended up basically taping him up almost mummy style, but um, that was interesting. I, I never thought I'd be, need underwater hand-to-hand -hand skills if you will i mean it was <laughs> you did an underwater combat fighting go at you uh, to a mild degree i mean i'd already i already had his hand zip tied in the front so it was yeah, yeah it wasn't full on but i mean uh if i didn't know what i was doing he could have drowned me because he, he just clamped his legs around me as hard as he could wow That's but he's really he's trying to get his leg his head above water right so i just told d i said dino raise his head a little more yeah, he's and the drowning. Guy raised his head <laughs> in the morning. That's when he he settled down. So I'm like, okay, he's just scared. Yeah. Well, that then you. Uh, so now, when did you end up on the East Coast? This was in '92. So I I I came back from Desert Storm. They decorated us for the work that we did there, and then I got tasked for. Well, then I screened for Devdrew. Yeah. For the screening that was happening. So some of the um, the, the legends were, you know, out there on the West coast interviewing the guys that, that thought they wanted to apply for that level. And I, I wanted to, so I did. And then, uh, they tasked me to go be an instructor at buds. And I always wanted to be a, an instructor at buds, but at the end of my, of my time, yeah, I didn't know how long I was going to be in the seal team, but really all I ended to, I intended to do one lap, like, you know, four or five years, and go through combat and do as much as I could and then just live the rest of my life. I never set out to make a career of it. So I'm like, I'll do buds, but later. <clears throat> They're like, no, we need you to go. And I'm like, well, I just screened for Dev. And if they pick me up, um, 
I don't have two years to dedicate to buds. So you can't take me. So they put, they, they grabbed a buddy of mine instead. He still curses me for it, but they, uh, so I, <laughs> during the gap between when I screened for dev and they picked me up, I, I instructed two and a half, uh, sniper courses on the West coast for spec war sniper. Oh, nice. Really enjoyed training the guys. And some of the guys I trained ended up at, uh, dev group, um, and I uh, did really well. And it was just something that I just loved life with the long gun and teaching others. And, you know, I still teach guys those, those skills. So it's um, something that's deep in me. I enjoy that, that discipline, that art, if you will, in some ways. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that's awesome. You've kind of, you've definitely, uh, you hit all the, uh, the high points of what most seals want to do. They dream to do. And then uh, once you get in there, for some guys, it's not so easy to kind of make these things happen because sometimes you're at the mercy of uh, a detailer, uh, like you almost became victim of with, uh, you know, orders to buds to be an instructor when, you know, I was like you, I stayed operational the whole time and I totally avoided shore duty and I avoided anything that had to do with, uh, you know, managing people. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, it was like, no, I just want to work. I don't, I don't want to, no, I don't want anything else. <laughs> I'll go and no show. Yeah, exactly. If I could have stayed in E5 the whole time, I would have. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, you know. that's how I felt. And people didn't <laughs> understand that. They're like, don't you want to make chief? I'm like, I don't care anything about it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Yeah. You get the further you get up that pole, man, the, the more pole you're smoking. <laughs> yeah. The more, the more you're relegated to sitting behind a desk, you know? Yeah. I've heard so. enough of the older guys fuss and bitch about it to where I'm like, I don't want that. Let that be me. In fact, later in the air marshal service, I had 210 agents to manage and my guys were coming by looking in my office and going, boss, look at you. You look like a caged lion in there. I'm like, kill me. Kill. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> sounds me. sounds familiar. Um, let's move in. Uh, you know, so you got out the damn neck. I'm guessing, uh, you know, just recently we've had probably, you know, our our greatest influence in the SEAL community pass away. And that was uh, old Marchinko. And, you know, I had the honor of uh, meeting him. God, what, was I... Uh, I was on my way to Bud's and he was in Houston doing a book signing. And so I short, I showed up with my orders to Bud's and I stood in line. I wasn't even nice enough to like buy the book. I just stood there and waited till I got to him. And I just put my orders down and said, Hey, this is where I want your signature. If you're cool with that. And he read it he looked at it. He looks up at me. He's like, are you sure you want me to sign these things? And I was like, fuck yeah. And he's like, okay, but don't get mad at me. <laughs> and so he put his big old signature on there. And then I checked into Buds and they saw that. And I got hammered for, I don't know, the first week. Just got my ass handed to me for showing up with my orders signed by Dick Marchenko. So uh, did you get a chance to work with him? I'm guessing. I don't I, know your time I frame. work with him, but I, I shared some time with him. We, yeah, yeah. Um, our, my instructor cadre brought him around a little bit when we were going through um, selection. Yeah. And I met him at a couple of events outside of that. And then later, um, probably about five years ago now, four or five years ago, uh, Army sniper Ed Eaton, uh, Vietnam era 
uh, legendary sniper is a good friend of mine and Dick and Ed and I were all staying together in the same condo. Uh, we were all speaking at a, at an event there and, um, in Southern California on the beach. And we, we uh, stayed up all night, one night, um, yucking it up. And it was a, bad, man. That's it was a, a time stuff. I'll never forget. Just, just hanging out with two legends and just, uh, sharing time and stories. And yeah, man, it was, it was cool. Yeah. Marchinko was a storyteller for sure. I got to, I forgot, I was at an event in New York and that was another time I ran into him and hung out with him. And yeah, I could just sit there and listen freaking 24 seven if he'd just keep going, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, legend. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast? Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Let's transition into your agent in charge life. And I'm guessing, uh, you know, sitting in the office uh, is part of that. <laughs> yeah. Pulling your hair out. Uh, what all did you do? I, I, I'm seeing here as far as, uh, you know, is this working for State Department? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, yeah, that was after my federal law enforcement time. So I did five years as a Fed and then I, I started doing Oh, okay. State contract work. So as an agent charge, that was contracting through Triple Canopy. Yeah. For the Department of State. Yeah. Got it. And so Over there you're Iraq, different regions, mostly Kirkuk. And uh it was a good time. A lot, a lot of good guys, and we did a lot of good work. We moved the State Department Chief of Mission personnel around our region and others when we had to, and try to keep them out off of Al Jazeera in the evening news, you know. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. those times. Yeah. I remember hearing from my buddies that would get out and go. They went either MVM, Triple Canopy. Those were like, to me, being still in the military and hearing about those, those seem like your higher quality kind of contract companies to work for. They did a better job at vetting who worked for them. Yeah. Um, I know Blackwater started that way. And then, as we know, towards the end, it was almost like they were just processing anybody because they just needed they just needed bodies for the contracts they had. Is that, was that kind of your experience as well? Yeah. I, you know, when I was as a federal law enforcement agent, it was Blackwater was hiring all the, the seals, but, but triple canopy was run by former Delta operators. So it was tier one level guys running it. And it yeah. was a lot smaller, leaner, more elite um, people that they, that they hired and ran. So that's why I went there. And I, in fact, I asked the guy that founded, triple canopy i said how's this going to be me being a blue fish working in your green pond he goes it's going to be great Craig. we want you and your influence here and he wasn't lying he they they took care of me it went well there yeah so then um later went state department just really started acting up and it, it became really bad a couple of years later i just said hey i don't want to do any more state department work so i went ahead and, and switched over doing um some oga work for intelligence agencies kind of doing the same thing uh yeah. for for them for other other companies and uh enjoy that quite a bit better yeah yeah um then tell me about the transition into kind of this little hollywood stuff tell me about that well my kids were growing up without me so you know i was coming home and going to you know different events of my my children's and you know, coaches and teachers were looking at me like uh, some kind of a, a bad guy. 
and saying, oh, I guess you do really exist after all. And I'm like, what the heck is that about? And, I, yeah. and I'm burying my my teammates and brothers. I'm almost getting blasted off the road providing for my family, you know, and you're treating me like I'm a terrible person, you know? And uh, I was explaining this, with, I was on a surveillance with a, a friend of mine. He's like, you know, Craig, he goes, children spell love, T-I-M-E. I'm like, wow, hmm. you're so right. You know, here I am making sure the finances are taken care of and sacrificing genuinely, uh, extensively to make that happen and getting it all wrong. They need yeah. their daddy there, right. not just the the money. So I said, you know, I had a lot of friends in, in film and television that said, Craig, you'd be a great tech advisor. You can make great money. You would love it. And man, you teach these guys how to shoot, move and communicate like you pros do instead of looking like Goombas in their movies, make the movies better. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. Doubt. That'd be nice. And uh, so I, I started trying to do that. And then there's only two guys uh, that really do anything. One that's got the monopoly on the Marine Corps stuff. I know him. I'm friends with him. He said, yeah, all the Marine stuff. He goes, it's really, you want to do Navy stuff, Craig, even though you're in the Marines. And uh, I said, okay. And you know, one guy handles, handles all the Navy stuff and, I talked with him and he was about ready to retire. And what he was going to do is hand his business over to me. And I was going to share a piece of that with him and honor him through it. And anyway, I think his wife was an alcoholic and she just got it kind of got very confused and the whole thing somehow went South and I never heard back from me. He, he sat down with me over a lunch dinner and said, Hey, Craig, this is great. He had me train Zoe Saldana for her movie, Columbiana it went great. And, He's like, Craig, there's, there's a lot we can do together. And anyway, he just never got back to me. Cause I think cause hmm. it was a lot. So, um, Hey, no, no harm, no foul. Uh, it was something I could have made a lot of money at and made a big contribution at, but I wouldn't have done what I'm doing now, which is so much more important that I don't, uh, I don't regret that passing by because, you know, after some counter poaching in Africa, I started learning that you can use a camera to highlight a problem and bring about global support for countering something that's that's very wrong. And I started learning about child trafficking. And that's when I got my heart broken. I'm like, man, this is a sick and dark and ugly covert operation. It's a domestic operation inside the United States, 38 to $50 billion a year in revenue. So I'm trying to comprehend how many children have to be sold and for what kind of heinous purpose to generate 38 to $50 billion a year. That's if it's closer to 50 than 38, that means it's bigger than all pro sports combined annually. Damn. So what you fought to prevent and what I fought to prevent is already happening and it's happening here. So I'm like, I'm done. 60 countries, bro. 60 countries I've been to around the world. I'm not going anywhere else ever again in defense of my country when what, what's happening is already here. Mm. And so the fight is here. So sending us somewhere else, I don't, I don't see where that's produ productive anymore. And so I just decided for me, my fight was going to be to expose and compromise this domestic covert operation of child trafficking and all the sick demonic evil that's happening to children with the Harvey Weinsteins, the, the Jeffrey Epstein's, the Ghislaine Maxwell's and all, all the others that 
have it even been exposed, I'm going to rip the lid off of it and ruin the whole thing. And I'm going to do it in a way that's so bold and so brash that nobody else dares do it and just carry a, a camera and expose the whole thing. And so I spent three years filming a documentary called Contraland, and it is intended specifically to compromise the evil domestic covert operation of child trafficking inside the United States to empower the American populace with the knowledge of what's going on, how our children are being hunted and what how it works and what we can do about it. And so that's what I did. And boy, my name has been smeared and attacked in ways that I and I never even thought of. I never even imagined. I mean, talk about imaginative. There's been all kinds of you know ways of attacking my name since then. It's just been very nasty and ugly, but I I don't care. It's I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm doing the right thing. I got some legends behind me. I got Jack Farmer. Look, the the guy that Tom Clancy wrote the Jack Ryan character after his real name is Jack Farmer, mm. a friend of mine, and he's on my board and he helps craft some of our operations. Bob Hamer, who in the FBI, he was a Marine. And when he was in the FBI, they sent him undercover inside of a pedophile organization called NAMBLA. We used to make jokes about it in the SEAL team, right? Because nothing's off limits in the SEAL team. He went inside of NAMBLA undercover and got eight convictions on their senior pedophiles there. Damn. So I've got Admiral Moore on our board. I've got friends and teammates that I've worked in different agencies with that, that I've known for decades, guys that I've gone to war with, guys that have gone to Africa with me, guys that I've been in covert uh, operations and, and contracts with. Saw man anywhere, anytime. So these are the guys I go and do work with now. And there's no greater mission. So Veterans for Child Rescue is just a nonprofit organization that I founded to help fund and support our operations, protecting the little ones here. And it's it's pretty cool when somebody from NAVSPEC War called me uh, last year and said, Craig, we our, our daughter skipped town with a guy that was quite a bit older. She thinks he's her boyfriend and they've gone down to Carolina or somewhere and we're scared to death. Can you help? And we were able to help direct him and get within, I think it was in 48 hours. And more recently with Super Bowl, there was a girl that we had rescued out of Texas several years ago, and she's very street savvy. And we had run a geo, um, it's called a, a geo fencing operation. And really what it is, is sending out uh, messages to smart devices on an alert. It's almost mm. like an Amber alert. Here's what to look for and here's yeah. how to report it, but on child trafficking. So we've got technologists that, that from you know, the right backgrounds that yeah. can do that kind of thing. So we were part of that. And I said, Hey, I called her up and I said, do you want to have a part in this and make your contributions on what to look for? She goes, Oh, show me what you got already. So I sent her what we were working on. And she sent back some very smart uh, SOPs on what hmm. to look for and how to challenge people for IDs and the win. And the Intel guys were pretty impressed. They're like, Craig, she's sharp. I'm like, I told you. I told you she's sharp, man. So she's 22 now, I think, and uh, doing well. And um, it's great to see that come full circle and her starting to give back and help others. Yeah. Starting to heal up and uh, recover from her life. And that, you know, 
being trafficked on the streets kind of a thing. So, you know, it's just, it's an interesting type of fight. It's different than anything I'd experienced in the SEAL teams or in law enforcement. You know, it's just a different way to serve your country, your people. Yeah. I know that you've, uh, you've actually, cause you know, we've been, you know, technically friends on Facebook and Instagram, all these places for a while now. And, you know, you've been doing, I think it's important to note that you've been doing this before it became so popular in the news with the Weinsteins, the Epsteins. Um, you've actually, you've been doing it, you know, before it was cool, lack of better words, you know, cause yeah. now the media and everybody else is finally giving it attention. Um, because there's characters behind it that are worth that they feel like it's not until you got a famous guy doing it, that the news finally goes, Oh, maybe we should pay attention to this. Right. I mean, but you've been yeah. doing it before that you've got quite yeah, the history well, with this. Yeah, brother. I started as soon as I could. It was, it's been five years now since we founded the org and it was two to three years prior to that, that a friend of mine from the CIA let me know that the area that we'd grown up just north of Houston had become the hottest epicenter for it. And that's what really ticked me off and caused me to want to compromise. And that's when I realized the, the reason this is so rampant is because the people are unwitting. Oh, it's a covert yeah. domestic operation, so it's easy. They have impunity. And I have to take that from them. That's the biggest thing. Rather than going face shooting, you know, 5,000 or even 10,000 traffickers, I could alert 340 million people to it and bring down the whirlwind on them, right? Change yeah. the laws, change the culture, change the education, change the psychological health care, everything against it, right? So some people don't understand this the psychology or the strategy of using a camera rather than a pistol at a one a one at a time kind of thing. Yeah, we do kinetic operations. We got 23 child predator arrests with 100% conviction rate already and, the, and joint sting operations. And we've got a bunch more assists and recoveries and other things that we're working on. But those, those are good because every child predator harms an average of 70 children each throughout their lifetime. So every guy you take off the game board represents 70 children that won't be raped by him. That's pretty cool. Damn. If I were one of those children, I'd be very grateful. Yeah. Raped or not raped. I'll choose not raped, please. Yes. You know, thank you. So we we like doing that, but man, blowing it up and, and multi multiplying it by millions with a camera and alerting a sleeping populace to it is is incalculably powerful. And that's that's the war that I'm making now. I'm just like you said, we're unconventional. I'm trying to figure out how do I win this being a busted up veteran and father with what I have. Yeah. I don't have Spectre on station, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't have, you know, I don't have Apaches over the ridgeline that I could call it. I don't have, you know, F-18s at, a, at a, an initial and an IP, you know, yeah. a couple of clicks back. I don't have all these assets that I can call in. So what can I rally as a citizen now and make war against this? I can expose it through media. So brother, that's what we're doing. And we're all about it. Well, good. Well, I'm hoping, uh, number one, you know, thanks for continuing to do what you do and drawing uh, attention to that. I mean, no doubt it needs it. And it, I'm glad you did it long before it became popular on the news with all these uh, famous idiots who seem to have been doing it for decades, which is crazy to me. It's just decades. They had already been doing this. And it's not until they got to fame and fortune that they uh, finally got, you know, put in a corner and 
and uh, either suicided or uh, put in jail like they should have been, you know? Yeah. Well, I just started off. I started off only to make a documentary about it to expose the whole thing. And nobody in Hollywood would help. They would say they were going to help. Oh, yeah, that's God's work, Craig. Yes, absolutely. We'll, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. and then I bet months they didn't turns help. Into, yeah, months turned into years. And I'm like, you people are blowing me. You're you're just blowing smoke. You're right. full of it. Yeah. Not men and women of action, and I am. So I founded a nonprofit organization. I started rallying the, the, the funds, and I made the dang thing myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done great, man. It's I, I see your work all the time. You're really good about posting about it and talking about it. Um, and, you know, we're not by any means done yet, but just so that right here, right now, people can go check out Veterans for Child Rescue, V4CR. Um, you've survived a lot of stuff, but it's that time in the podcast where we have to see if you survive this podcast and uh, it starts with this little hypothetical scenario are you ready do you think you can stand by i think you'll do just fine but it's important to note that uh the only right answer is the answers on my piece of paper here okay okay, just so you know that's cool yeah just like trudeau up in canada there you go yeah (laughs) we will be right back after the break all right so we're going to uh, kick this thing off. So the scary, suspenseful music will start right about now. For this scenario, you are in Hollywood, your favorite place, and you've just finished a private screening of a documentary. You are staying the night at a cheap hotel in Hollywood. It's uh, nighttime, and you walk back to the hotel alone. As you approach the entrance of your hotel, a car pulls up in front of you and blocks your path. Okay. A person with a gun gets out of the driver's seat. The person points the gun at your chest and says, get in the car, saw man. First question. Do you, A, grab the gun and wrestle the guy to the ground, or B, avoid escalating the situation, play ball, and get in the car? Because, you know, you love adventure. <laughs> There are so many funny ways I could answer, but <laughs> you can answer however you want. Uh, assuming he's as close as you, as I expect you're indicating, I would close the distance and take that weapon from him because I've spent thousands of hours doing combat hand to hand. I was eaten up with it in the SEAL teams, and I still do it. And uh, I'm I'm having that weapon. I mean, I'm just it's mine. So yeah, for me, that's what's going to happen, and we'll we'll solve the rest of it. Um, after after I, I'm in command of that, and uh, maybe I'll take his vehicle from him, and go for a joyride or whatever. But yeah, that's <laughs> that'd be my instinct. Yeah, I think I think you made a valuable point. You've been doing this, and you're very comfortable with if someone pointed a gun at you, you would win that argument. Um, the average person, you'd probably say, B, avoid escalating the situation to a certain degree, play ball and maybe get in the car. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Or you say, my birthday <laughs> for me, you guys. Let's go. Oh, this can't Where be real. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It Pretend looks it's so your birthday. real. It is. Man, did, did, did Johnny hire you guys? <laughs> you guys. <laughs> this is Hollywood. It's full of actors. This can't be real. Um, so, uh, anyway, 
keeping it de-escalated is the key, especially for you listeners out there that, uh, you know, you're not, uh, you're not the saw man. Okay. Uh, as much as we'd like to be some are not, but you play ball for now to stay alive a little bit longer, because if you're a novice and you're struggling with a gun, you could end up shot in the gut. And it's the last thing we want for you. All right. So, and this person is clearly unstable and the gun could go off and that's what exactly what you're trying to avoid. So now you're in the car, saw man. Okay. And, uh, do you a calmly try to befriend this person, you know, take things down a notch, right. By being friendly or B keep quiet and do whatever you're told. Well, if I'm in the car, I'm driving because the dude's dead. I've got his wallet. And I'm going to get something to eat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what are we talking? There what you are we go. Talking here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The producers picked a very bad scenario for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't cooperate, do I? All right. Yeah, so, I'm okay. not, so I'm a novice. No, I'm not me. And I'm scenario, right. I'm someone you can else. Be, you can so, be, however. You I'm in the back and I'm, and, uh, and they've got me and I've, I failed to break contact. So here, here I am under the in enemy control. We're That's driving right. along and you're asking me what? So, <laughs> you are calmly befriending this person, right? Okay. Yeah. And you take something, you want to basically take it down a notch or two or B, keep quiet and do what you're told. Hmm. You see your tactics might work here. Well, you know, you know. I think there's merit to both, but I think kind of probing to see where they're at to kind of learn more about them, having a small talk can open that up. You'll either learn that they're very serious professionals and they've got a discipline and a a protocol they're not going to break. And that's information, noteworthy information, or or maybe you can start learning something about them and maybe start uh, humanizing yourself to your captors. There you go. Uh, you know, there, there's one, you know, that obviously some, in some cases being quiet is probably going to benefit you, especially some guys you and I know, they, they run their mouths. They only make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just exactly. shut up. Just take the pain. <laughs> That's right. Self-awareness. Very important there. If you're a big mouth, shut up. But if, uh, yeah, I agree. A, A is correct. Calmly try to befriend the person. And take things down a notch. And plus, you get to see, like, really where they stand on stuff, you know. Finding some common ground, just as you mentioned, that humility piece uh, should hopefully de-escalate them for the moment. Uh, And then just tread lightly and don't push any buttons. Your captor seems to calm to your friendly act. Good job, Craig. So suddenly, they pull the car over. They tell you to hold your hands out, all right? Do you, A, present your hands, or B, refuse and demand they tell you what the hell is going on? Present your hands or ask some questions. I don't know. All this is so counter to anything <laughs> I'm, I'm wired to do. I'm just that's perfect, to... though, because that's where people are going to learn the other side. So go ahead. Yeah. Talk through it. Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> wants to see your hands, you know. Verbally, if somebody wants to take you somewhere you don't want to go, you you, you want to challenge them on well, what does that have to do with me? Why you know why do you want why yeah. do you want to take it there? So I would almost physically have the same attitude, like you know why do you need that, and, and see where they're they're going with it, rather than just uh, blind immediate compliance. I just um, I wouldn't be inclined to to just go so easy, you know. I think uh, just 
it almost broadcasts weakness and, and, and embolden the enemy, you know? Yeah. My do, you th- do you think there's ever a time by feigning compliance where you can use it to your advantage to a certain 100 percent absolutely yeah yeah if if you're working out your plan and you can you can withstand whatever it is that they're having you do and you're sizing them up yeah by all means lull them into that sense of complacency yeah. and and feign weakness and and compliance and and then and then whack pick your shot and execute with perfect violence and conviction yes yes so we're going to go with, uh, yeah, to avoid basically pissing the person off, you're going to feign compliance and you're going to present your hands. <laughs> we got to the answer roundabout, but it works. Um, your captors pull out our favorite roll of duct tape, okay? And they begin to tape your hands and wrists. Um, and so, as you can see, this is going down the path of restraint defeat for our listeners. So do you, A press your palms together and your wrists outwards while being taped or B press your wrists together, making it easier for your captors to tape them up. Well, law enforcement, we always want their thumbs toward us, their palms outward. Thumbs up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. For me, I would want my, my, I would want my, as a captive, I would want my palms outward anyway, because you got more yeah. leverage to break three. There break, you go. So you, you nailed it. You nailed it. Hey, yeah, you want to present palms. So first of all, when, you know, if someone's going, if you know, okay, I'm outnumbered, I'm outgunned, I'm taking severe blows to the head. I want to stay conscious. I want to stay alive. Um, you're going to present your hands and let them tape you up is now you're not presenting them with your hands behind your back. You're presenting them here because you're taking control of the situation. So your yeah. hands are out in front and you're pressing those wrists in and your palms outward because that creates a gap, the gap that they can't see as they tape your wrists together. And where there's a gap, there's slack. And where there's slack, there is escape. So you do that because you are a smart frogman. And uh, the car now pulls up to a house. You are ordered to get out of the car, and your captors say you're going in the house now. So do you, A, take off running, or B, play it cool and do as you're told? <laughs> Counterintuitive, Craig. Yeah, Here we go. Yeah, yeah. do as you're told. <laughs> That's the way this one's Oh, so you're not going to outrun a bullet. You know that. So B, yes, you're correct. If you take off running, the person could just shoot you in the back. So you're due as you're told. The once inside, you see a couple of adolescents, kids, (laughs) running around and playing. It's kind of strange. You're still duct tape, by the way. The kids just kind of look at you like, oh, yeah, we've seen this before. (laughs) Your hands are in front of your body, luckily, because you took control of the situation. Uh, And the tape is now kind of loose. Perfect. So do you, A, grab one of the kids and hold them hostage and demand to be let go of, (laughs) or B, keep playing it cool and do what Craig loves to do and do as you're told? (laughs) Play it cool. (laughs) There you go. And A would not work very well for your foundation. So stay away from that answer. (laughs) Grab a kid. Let me go. Um, okay. Anyway, again, 
you don't want to piss them off. So, you know, they're clearly unstable. <laughs> I mean, they just took you home with their, we think these are their kids. Who knows? Uh, and if you grab a kid, who knows how crazy things could get. So we don't want to do that. You're taken into a room in the house, right? Now, handcuffs are added to your wrists in addition to the tape. Okay. So it just got worse, which kind of sucks. Um, a bag is placed over your head and you're placed in a chair in the corner of a room. Do you a pretend to be asleep and hope the captor loses interest in you or B ask to go to the bathroom? Yeah. Bathroom's a good choice. Yeah. Cause, uh, not only have you struck up conversation, you're humanizing yourself. You're trying to see if there's any give with this captor. Uh, but the next piece is having some demands, sometimes asking for water, food, or something as simple as I need to go to the restroom. Um, it kind of allows you to get a layout, too, of uh, what the hell you're in. You know you're in a house, but by going to the bathroom, you get to do a little bit of a recce. So uh, we come to the point you're waiting around. You play it cool. Playing it cool is no longer working. So now you got to start trying to see what you can get away with. You ask to go to the bathroom, and they say yes. Uh, they take you into the bathroom, remove your hood, uh, but not your restraints, okay? And leave you alone in the bathroom. You quickly check for supplies while there, and you find a bobby pin. The, the world-famous bobby pin. <laughs> so do you A, pick the cuffs in the bathroom and defeat the duct tape with force, or B, flush the toilet, take the bobby pin with you back to where you're being held? Yeah, I'd probably take the bobby pin with me. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, uh, we don't know what we're really, truly, what else we're dealing with just yet. So, you free your hands. And with your hands free, do you, A, exit with free hands and attack your captor, knock them out and run. Or B, put the cuffs and tape back on, kind of so that it looks like they're in place. Uh, so that your captor can't tell if your hands are free now. A or B? I didn't really. Yeah, well, as soon as I can break free, if if I if I can find <laughs> a way out of there, I'm I'm taking it. <laughs> you know what? I actually agree with you. A is uh, I mean, yeah, but especially for the sake if there's any weapon, if there are weapons to be recovered, yeah, if I can take somebody down and take their weapons, man, it's on. I'm right. I'm on the move then. Yeah, everything's changed. Yeah, I think, you know, both of those answers are kind of correct in their own way um, on that one. And I'm kind of going through this with you. These, these scenarios that are put together for us are, you know, it gets you thinking. Um, for this scenario, B is the right answer. You're going to trick them for a bit and have them believe that you're still restrained. Uh, and sticking with the theme of de-escalation, really, uh, so that you can uh, pick the right time and place to uh, get away quietly. Um, you now have an advantage because the captor does not know that your hands are actually free. You're now left in the room alone. Your captor uh, leaves the room to attend to the little children in the house. <laughs> uh, so it sounds pretty rowdy out there. And uh, there's a window in the room, okay? And uh, But the drop is approximately 30 feet, okay? So last question. Do you A, escape through the window, or B, sneak out of the room and down the stairs, maintaining a stealthy movements as you 
the best you can while your captor is distracted by the rowdy kids. Window well, I think 30. There's to be the smarter move because 30 feet, I and mean, that, that could kill you. I took a 35 foot rock climbing fall with massive concussion and broke my back in three places. So that didn't work out all that well. So I think 30 foot's too big a drop to expect not to break something. That's right. Um, I, I agree. Just if you snap your ankle, I mean, how well is that going to help you get away, right? Uh, yeah. Something that simple. So, yeah, be sneak out and uh, maintain stealth and get the hell out of that house. Uh, you sneak out, and, of course, you go, the last question, do you go Rambo or do you call the authorities? <laughs> or should I say, do you go Sawman and then yeah, call I, the I, authorities? I, I, I'd probably go Sawman. If somebody pulled a gun on me and they, <laughs> they kidnapped me and abducted me and bound me and took me somewhere, they're going to take whatever I got. Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to go through that place until I feel better about whatever happened there. And then I'll call the cops for cleanup. That, that's me. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's right, but, but that's right for me. You know? Yeah. And I believe you. I believe you. And uh, you, without a doubt, Sawman, have survived this podcast. Um, yeah, going through those scenarios, man, it's great because you get to hear other guys' thought processes and, and, and more so capability in it. And for those of you listening, like having capability is key to being able to do what guys like Sawman say they would do, because there's no doubt in my mind, and I don't think any doubts in your minds that he would do exactly what he says he's going to do to these bad guys. And it should give you good reason to go and train, right? Keep up with your skills, whether that's at a range, whether that's at your you know local MMA uh, studio, whatever it is, uh, there is a lot of good reasons out there um, to have some skills, do some sustainment training, and stay on top of your game. And would you add anything else to that, Craig? No, I think you're being prepared is key. You know, everybody has the will to win on game day, but it's the will to prepare to win that separates the pros from the amateurs. And that's where it really is at, is all that prep, man. Uh, on game day, there's nothing enough left to do but perform. So it's right. all in the prep. That's right. And if you're not training, then you're not going to perform – uh, to the level that you should in order to stay alive. And right. that's the, and that's really the goal. Um, Craig, Hey, thank you for being on the show. But before we leave, tell everyone where they can find all the great things that you're doing. Yeah, man. Well, number one, I want you to watch our documentary Contraland because everybody deserves to know what's happening and you can watch it for free on contralandmovie.com. Vets for Child Rescue is our website, our orbs, org's website. So vetsforchildrescue.org. And then all my tactical stuff is on tacticalinsider.com. And I've got public speaking there and training courses and consulting and different things like that. So anything that I'm doing, you can find on one of those three. Awesome. And uh, once again, if you get lost in the in the Google world, you can always go find me and look at who I'm following and you will see uh, Craig Sawman Sawyer there. His handle for the most part is real underscore Sawman. Um, go check out everything he's got going on. He has done great things in the past and he continues to do them to this day. 
Uh, Craig, thanks for coming on. Thanks for all the good things you do. I appreciate it. I know the listeners appreciate it. I know those kids you're rescuing appreciate it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And until next time, be safe out there. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.